Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Liz, thanks so much for reading and for uh, praying. I was going to tell you the story of the white Anglican clergyman who was preaching in India through an interpreter. And the white Anglican clergyman's opening sentence went like this. The beatific familiarity of this passage, traditionally appointed for quinquagesima, must not cause us to neglect its profoundity. The interpreter translated it slightly differently and said, so far the preacher hasn't said anything worth remembering. When he does, I'll let you know. And I was going to confess that I'm white Anglican and a clergyman and was going to suggest that we ought to pray that I'll say something more worthy of your memory. But I think Liz has already done that, so we don't need to do that now. Mike, can I say what an enormous joy it is to be amongst you this morning and to uh, have the joy of preaching for you. Let me say that uh, for many years I had the joy of being a trustee of Grace Church Manchester. And as a family, we have... At Bible time in our family prayed for you every day for the last 10 years and we continue to do that and we count that a real joy. Many years ago we prayed for you to grow in the number of families you had and in fact Mike encouraged us as a family, Joe and I and the kids, we prayed for many, many, many weeks, months, years in fact, that you would have five families with children. When the children went out this morning, I noticed that our prayer had been answered, and I in fact wondered whether it would be better for me to go and be with the children, because I think there were more going out than have stayed in. But let me tell you what an enormous joy that has been that the Lord has answered that uh, prayer. Let me tell you what an enormous joy it was coming in the building this morning and to be greeted by Rosie, who I've uh, known through camps over the years. And looking at her and seeing what a beautiful girl she is, and then thinking, isn't it God's grace that the gene pool of Mike and Melissa can produce such wonderful children? That, tru- <laughs> that, tru- <laughs> that truly is God's wonderful grace. That's the end of the humor. Shall we get to God's word now? Turn with me, if you would, to the passage that Liz read, Romans chapter 12. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be a member, which seemed to be an appropriate thing to talk about on your gift day. Here you are at the beginning of a new year. Here you are thinking about how you will give to God's work here in Manchester and to beyond. You're thinking, how can you support what already happens? And you're thinking about how you can grow and develop so that things increase. How is it that you're a member of Grace Church Manchester? Because you'll only properly give if you understand how properly you're part of. You'll only give if you understand how properly you're part of. Well, the first club I joined, my parents enrolled me. It cost them two shillings and sixpence. Gasp, yes, I am that old. That's tw- Thank you. That's 12 and a half P in today's money. The club was founded in 1961. Surely you weren't alive then. Yes, I was. And I was one of the first 150,000 members. Princess Anne 
Her parents enrolled her as a member along with me. We were the first members. Princess Anne and I. I proudly remember walking to school, aged five, wearing my badge a clip to my blazer. I confess, I was a member, you won't have heard of it, of the Tufty Club. <laughs> You're not meant to be laughing at that. For those of you who are too young to remember, the Tufty Club, named after Tufty the Squirrel, was established by the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents, and its claim was that through cartoons, posters and books, people would be educated so that they would know how to cross the road safely. Now, the Tufty Club was disbanded in the 1970s and was replaced by something called the Green Cross Code, Rather dull. <laughs> but I reckon most of us here have been or are members of a club or an organisation or a team. Are you a driver? Are you a member of the AA? Are you in business and a member of the Rotary Club? Are you a member? No, you wouldn't be. Of a union? You could even be a member of Parliament. But being a member, what does it mean? Now, it's different in different organisations, of course. You see, the way you join the Tufty Club was just giving over 12.5p. Becoming a member of Parliament requires you to have thousands voting for you. And the benefits of being a member are different with different clubs, aren't they? You see, if you're a member of the Women's Institute, it's not necessarily helpful if you break down on a motorway. You'd rather be the member of the AA, wouldn't you? And the responsibilities of being a member are different with different clubs. So I am a member of the Sunday Times Wine Club. <laughs> but I'm also a member of a theological college council. To one, I need do nothing at all, and it's not the theological college. <laughs> to one, I need do nothing at all, but the other requires me to attend many meetings. So the difference of being members in secular life varies enormously. But what does it mean to be a member of the local church? What does it mean to be a member of Grace Church Manchester. Well, look with me at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to ask three questions. We're going to ask the first question, who are members of the local church? Who are members of the local church? And before we look at the text, let me say that it's possible to think outside of the scriptures when we come to this question. That's how it's been over the last... 500 years. So, for me, having confessed that I'm a white Anglican clergyman, a member of an Anglican local church, how are you a member of a Church of England church? Well, the answer's very easy. If you're 16 and over, you live in a geographical area called a parish, you either live in that area or have been to that church for six months, you just need to sign a piece of paper. You don't need to be a Christian. You could be a Buddhist. You just need to be 16 or over, 
and reside in a geographical area and you can be a member of that Church of England. Church. But you could be a Buddhist or a Hindu or even an atheist. Now that's balmy, don't you think? <laughs> but what about you non-Anglican churches like Grace Church Manchester? Who are the members of your local church? Well, very often in free churches, non-Anglican churches, being a member, you have to sign a doctrinal basis, perhaps. I don't know what you do here, but you might have to sign a doctrinal basis. You might have to attend some classes, even. You might even have to be accepted by others. But, well, what does the Bible say? about being a member of the local church. Well, look with me at chapter 12 of Romans and look with me at verses 4 and 5 because here in core is what it means to be a member of the local church. It defines who the members of the local church. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the other. And it's that little phrase at the start of verse 5 that's the key. So in Christ, we who are many are one body. In other words, Paul is saying that everyone who is in Christ becomes part of the body and therefore becomes members of the body. And so the issue isn't whether you've signed a piece of paper in one denomination or whether you've signed a piece of paper in another denomination, if you are in Christ, you are a member. If you are in Christ, you are a member of the church. Membership in church happens automatically. In Christ and therefore a member. So who's in Christ? Well, in Romans, it's those who are justified. Those who are right with God. Those who have come into right relationship with God. Paul has spent the first 11 chapters of Romans explaining who is right with God. He's explained for us back in chapters 1 to 3 that all of us, without exception, by nature, are apart from God. That all of us, without exception, have pushed God away. We've said no to God. Oh, we've been foolish in doing so, darkened in our hearts in doing so. But we've nonetheless said no to God. And the great thing is that in Jesus it's possible for us to become right with God again. Through faith, as a gift, we come into friendship with the living God. Through the death of Jesus. And put those two things together. Through the death of Jesus and through faith in what he's done, we come to be justified. That is right with God. Justified, that is, our future has already been, de been determined. 
will never have to go into court on the last day, will never have a case to answer. It's all been sorted. No charge can be brought against us in the future because we're already in the right with God. Our past has been dealt with, forgotten, and our future is sorted. It's certain. And if that has happened to us, then that is what makes you and I a member, part of, joined to, in with. Who are those who are members? Well, the issue isn't so much about lists or about roles. It's about being in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I am a member. And so the issue for you and I this morning is not so much as who are the members, but if we're in Christ, whether we're good members or bad members. Because if you're in Christ, you are enrolled, you are a member. Now let me ask you, are you a member? Are you in? Are you joined? Are you part of? If you're here this morning and can't say that that is true of you, I'm thrilled you're here. Investigate. There is no better body to be part of than to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of Jesus, to be part of what God is doing in this world for all eternity. If you've never really checked it out, come to the front afterwards and have a word with Mike. He'd love to tell you how you can investigate more. But if you have done that, you are a member. And the question really is whether you'll be a good member or a bad member. You are a member if you're in Christ. Let me try and illustrate. This will impress you. On July the 13th, 1991, I got married. I can remember the day. That's good, isn't it? In fact, let me impress you. It's 25 years this summer. Let me impress you. I've already booked something to celebrate. <laughs> Let me impress you. She doesn't know what it is. And I'm not going to tell you in case you put this up on the website. <laughs> but it's all booked. 25 years ago this summer. And I heard the words pronounced. I proclaim you man and wife. On that day, my wife Jo and I got married. And let me say that you cannot get any more married than I was on that day. On that day, we were married. The question, of course, for the last 25 years has been this. Is it going to be a good marriage or a bad marriage? Don't know why Melissa's laughing. <laughs> Does she do that every Sunday? 
The question is, is it going to be a good marriage or a bad marriage? It's not that we're, we're married. If we didn't live in the same home, if we didn't make love, if I cheated on her and had sex with other women, it would be a rotten marriage. I'd still be married, but it would be a rotten marriage. If I am trusting in the death of Jesus, then I am a member of church. And the issue is, will I be a good member of church or will I be a bad member of church? Objectively, you become a member of church when you're in Christ. So the question that faces us this morning is, do you want to be a good member of Grace Church or do you want to be a rubbish member of Grace Church? Now, I can't answer that question for you. And although many of you intellectually, intellectually will be nodding yes, only you and the Lord God know what's inside your heart at that moment. Will you be a good member of church or will you be a bad member of church? Ah, well, you're asking, what does it look like? to be a good member of church. But before we get to that, we've answered the first question, who are the members of the local church? That is, those who are in Christ. Here's the second question that Paul addresses, is how should members of the local church think? And that's a surprise. How should the members of the local church think? Because the answer to whether you will be a good member of church or not is is how you think about yourself. So, who are the members of the local church? Those who are in Christ. How should members of the local church think? But look at chapter 12. And before, tells, before Paul will tell us what to do, which he will do in verses 6 to 8, as he's introduced the idea of who the members of the local church are in verses 4 and 5, is notice that he tells us how we should think about ourselves. You see, conduct always follows creed. Behaviour always follows belief. The way you live is determined by the way you think. So look at how you should think about yourself, verse 3. For... By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. In verse 3, Paul is saying how we should think. And the way we should think is determined by the measure of faith that God has given us, which I think in Romans doesn't mean the amount of faith that you've got, that you know one person has 5% faith, another person has 50% faith, another, another one 90% faith. I think the measure is the rule or standard of faith, and therefore it's the gospel. You should think of yourself in the way that the gospel causes you to think. Now the problem, if you've read Romans chapters 1 to 11, the problem with humanity is our default position is to think more highly of ourselves than we should. That is, our default human position is pride. 
My default human position is to think that I'm better than I am. My default human position is to think more highly of myself than I should. My default human position is to think I am number one. But read Romans 1 to 11 and the gospel cuts us down to size. The gospel tells me I'm a sinner. The gospel tells me I can't get right with God by myself. The gospel tells me I need God to do something for me. The gospel tells me I need God's spirit to have worked in my heart. The gospel fundamentally humbles me. The gospel is the antidote to the cancer of pride. And when I think about myself correctly, that is, I don't think of myself more highly than I ought, then I will think about my membership in the church in the right way. In other words, put it the other way around. I won't think of myself as a member of church rightly until I have been completely humbled by the gospel of Jesus. Until I have been brought down to size. You see, the gospel, well, the gospel, notice verse 3, sobers me up. So that I'll think about myself correctly. Have you seen Manchester on a Friday or Saturday night? Have you been in the city centre? Three, four, it might be six weeks ago, Joe and I drove into the city centre of Liverpool on a Friday night. I have never seen such a thing. People were wearing pyjamas. Well, that's Liverpool for you. And many people were totally paralytic. They were out of it. They couldn't walk straight. They were falling over. And some of them were starting to fight. And police vans were all around. It was extraordinarily. Paul says, think about yourself with sober judgment. Think about yourself absolutely rightly. Think about yourself in the right way. And what will that mean? It will mean that you'll think about yourself then as a member. And you'll think about yourself, look at carefully the language Paul uses, as belonging, verse uh, 5, to all the others. Unless the gospel humbles you, you will still think of yourself as the one who owns yourself. But if you have been soberly brought to right thinking by the gospel verse 3 you will think about yourself as belonging to everyone else and it's important we understand that word belong in the right way because we use the word belong in two different ways in English so in the way that we began with the belonging to the Tufty Club well I don't do that anymore but I do belong to Leyland Cricket Club and we are a fine cricket club I've been, I, until last November, I was chairman of Leyland Cricket Club for 10 years. 
We won the Northern Premier League three times. Last year, we were second in the Northern Premier League. That is the top league in the north of England for cricket. And Leyland, a poxy puny little town of only 42,000, kick way above their weight. And we do rather well. And I belong. I'm a member. What it actually means is I get the right to vote at the AGM in November. And if I was still able, which I'm not, I could play for them on Saturdays in the summer. I'm a member of the cricket club. I belong. But that is not the meaning of the word belong there in verse 5. When it talks about membership and belonging, it's in the second sense in which we use that word in English. These glasses belong to me. That means they are mine. I own them. If Mike were to nick them at the end of the meeting, I'd be cross. Because I wouldn't be able to get home because I wouldn't be able to drive the car. But I'd be cross because they're mine. He has got no right to steal my glasses. Can you see the difference between belonging in the sense of being associated with, that's the cricket club, belonging in the sense of possessing, that is, they are mine. Now, the gospel calls on me to understand that I belong to my local church, not in the sense I'm associated with them. I belong to them in the sense that they own me. That is, my local church have rights over everything I am and have. Can you see how utterly countercultural and how cult, cult, completely counterintuitive that is? You see, for me to say someone else owns me is completely against how I think normally. So Mike Tyndall there, you own him. Don't laugh. He's yours. He's a member. That is, you own him. Now, let me say, if you wanted to sell him, you probably wouldn't get much for him. <laughs> you know, put him up, up for kind of on, on, the, on the London Stock Exchange, and his shares would be valueless, almost certainly. But nonetheless, you own him. Do you think of it in that term? Do you think of yourself in that way? The church owns you. My wife, was, Jo, was brought up in a non-Christian family, and she became a Christian as a student at university. So hooray for university missions. She became a Christian in a university mission in her first year as a student. Do pray for the university mission in Manchester this uh, term. Hooray! Jo was converted in a university mission in the uh, first year that she was a student. She then went on to marry me. And shortly after we'd been married, her parents, who were not Christians, said, Joe, do you not think the local church is using you a bit? And she said to her mum and dad, I'm a member. They own me. They can use me in whatever way they want. 
Don't mishear me. I'm not saying abuse, of course. I'm not saying that, uh, that they should exploit. But use, yes. It's a real mind shift difference, isn't it? Do you believe that everything you are and everything you have, relevant to gift, eh? Everything you are and everything you have actually is owned by the whole church family. That is a big mind shift for us, isn't it? It's completely counterintuitive and countercultural. But to, to be members and to act as members, I've got to get my thinking right. So, question, what do members of the local church do? What do members of the local church do? Well, let me draw your attention to three things you'll notice from Romans chapter 12. The first thing is that church members offer their whole lives to God. That's really the headline application, isn't it? In chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true or spiritual act of worship. Offer your whole self. Everything that you have, everything that you are, is to be offered to God, which will be in the context of the local church. We'll sing it later. Isaac Watts knew it, didn't he? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Now Paul's borrowing language from the temple here. And so worship for Paul is a sacrifice. But notice the sacrifice there in verse 1. It's not an animal. It's not some grain. It's you. It's your bodies, and your bodies is everything that you are. Do you need motivation to give well today? Do you need motivation to give your whole self to God? Well, if you do, look at verse 1 again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, love so amazing, so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I ask myself, do you want to give yourself to the people of God today? Do you want to worship God today? Sometimes I get out of bed and I think to myself, no, I don't particularly. And so I do an exercise told me by a long-standing Christian friend who's now in glory. He used to ask himself, he said, John, do you want to get out of bed and live the Christian life today? And he, no. So then he'd ask himself, well, what's changed? Have you had any new information in the middle of the night that means Jesus did not come to die for you on the cross? No. Have you had any new information that means Jesus didn't rise from the dead to give you life? No. Have you had any new information that means that God didn't send his Holy Spirit to change you and make you his forever? No. Have you had any new information that means you're not going to go to glory on the last day? No. Well, nothing's changed much, so get up and live for Jesus. And sometimes I need to do that. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. There's the motivation. 
But what does it look like in practice? Well, come down to verse 6 and we'll see. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. You all have different gifts. Here is the first of five lists of gifts that God gives. They're just illustrative. So Paul can go on to say, if a person's gift is prophesying, then let him prophesy to, according to his faith. If it's serving, then let him serve. If it's teaching, then let him teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. If it's contributing to each other's needs, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, then do it cheerfully. That's just illustrative. Whatever your gift is, Paul's point is, use it. Give it. On gift day, I've no idea what money you've got, but if you've got it, give it. That's Paul's point. And if you've come here this morning and haven't prepared for that, well, there are those forms that Mike mentioned. You see, whatever your gifts are, Paul says, use it. Give it. And notice that is how, in verse 5, the members of the body will best function as a body. Most of us look in the mirror in the morning, and we look, and we dream. You see, I look in the mirror and wish this body wasn't as it was. Wouldn't it be sad if the body of Grace Church wasn't as good as it could be? Isn't it sad when you see in a body amputation? That is, you see someone cutting themselves off from the body. Isn't it sad when you see elephantiasis? That is when one part of the body grows out of proportion to how it's meant to be. Isn't it sad in a body when you see atrophy? That's when bodies have, parts of the body have stopped working in paralysis. Isn't it sad in a body when you see fractures? Parts of the body connected but broken. Isn't it sad when you see arthritis? when one bone rubs on another. Paul wants the body, verses 4 and 5, to work well. And the body only works well when you're motivated by the death of Jesus, verse 1. When you think correctly about yourself, verse 3. And then when, because you understand your members of the body, verses 4 and 5, you actually do and give what you can. What God has given you, what God has enabled you, you then give. And if you do that, you'll be a healthy body. Who are the members? Everyone who's in Christ. 
How should you think? Soberly. And what should you do? Whatever God has gifted you with, give to the rest of the body. And do that. And you'll look in the mirror and rejoice at what God has done in making you a healthy body. Let's pray, then we're going to sing. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. Thank you that your mercy has meant that we are now those who are in Christ. And we pray we'll be those who give in worship by giving what you've given us. Help us to think rightly about ourselves. We pray, Heavenly Father, that love, so amazing, so divine, will cause us to give our lives, our souls, our all. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.